so I got a question for you. Where do you learn to pray? How do you learn to pray? Well, like so many things, don't you learn by example? By looking on and joining in as you watch someone more mature or more learned or more experienced. So have you ever watched someone who's a master at their craft do their work? It's a beautiful thing. And given that the person who's doing the work has the right attitude about them, their desire in allowing the other to look on is not to discourage them as though by seeing their excellence the trainee is, is brought low. No, it's to, it's to spur the trainee on. It's to give the trainee a positive example, a model. And the trainee or the apprentice sees and he says, Ah, yes, I see it. That's how you do it. That's how it works. Well, today, brothers and sisters, we are all trainees studying under Paul. In his wonderful school of prayer. If there is anything that many Christians, including myself, struggle with, it's prayer. The Lord knows this. He does. And so by His grace and in His wisdom, our Father invites us this morning to come alongside an older brother, Paul, and listen in as he prays for the Ephesian church. He invites us to come alongside and learn Learn a bit of the glories and learn a bit of the priorities of prayer to learn and to be helped. Helped not only in our prayers, but helped in our understanding and our living out of the very Christian life. It is a treasure to learn from a master. It is a treasure to learn with Paul. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. As we continue our study in this glorious book, we're going to pick up in verse 14. Paul says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. And to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me one more time. Oh God, I pray. As Paul prayed in chapter 1, that you would open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts this morning, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord, to grasp 
and to be transformed by the truths embedded in this text. I ask it for your glory and for our good. Amen. Paul's prayer has an introduction, verses 14 and 15. The main substance of the prayer is found in 16 through 19. And then the conclusion of the prayer is 20 and 21. So let's just look at the introduction to start. You can use your outline if that helps you follow along. If you have your outline open, if you have a Bible open, you're going to be all set this morning. We're going to look at the introduction in verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. If you've been a student of the Bible for any period of time, you should know that whenever you've got a word like for or therefore, you just need to pause and you need to ask, what's this there for? And in this case, it links us back to 3.1. So I want you to look at 3.1. For this reason, same phrase, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, what Paul was about to do right there was just pray. He was about to pray the prayer that we just read in our text this morning. But as soon as he got out that sentence, he thought, you know what? I, I have got to tell them. <laughs> I have got to tell them about the stewardship of the mystery of God that's been revealed to me. Have you ever done that? You begin a sentence and then you think, oh wait, I need to give an aside. You know, for me, it's like every other sentence. I'm like, let me just give an aside. Let me give an aside. Let me give an aside. And you're like, what are you saying? <laughs> so Paul says, for this reason, and then he just pauses. And he's like, you know what? I need to let you know a lot of stuff. But then he comes back in 3.1 and he says, for this reason. And so what that means is that if we want to understand the for this reason, we need to understand what Paul was saying for this reason about in verse 1. And so what is he referring to when he says for this reason in 3.1? It's very simple. It's everything in chapter 2. So for this reason refers to the reconciling work of God Paul explained to us in chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10 describe how through the gospel, Jews and Gentiles, dead sinners, sinners enslaved to their sin, those sinners have been forgiven of their sin and reconciled to God. Verses 11 and following describe how Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled to each other. So in the gospel, God has done a new thing. He has done away with a law which separated these two groups. He's created a new man. He's created a new society. He's created a new people, the church. It's a place where Jews and Gentiles are together. And he ends by emphasizing how in the church, the church itself is the dwelling place of God. In him, Paul says, you are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the last thing before he says, for this reason. And so what's on Paul's mind as he begins this prayer is this. Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled to God, and they've been brought together as God's new people, the church. And the church is the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And all of this has been revealed to Paul. All of this has been revealed to Paul. And that's the reason for his aside in 3, 2, 1 through 13. When you read this, 3, 4, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This incredible work of God, this 
this message of the cross of Christ, this, this good news of the gospel. This has been revealed. It's been revealed to Paul. It's been revealed to the apostles. And of course, brothers and sisters, you know what they did with that revelation, don't you? They wrote it down for us. Therefore, this, this is the revelation of God. This Bible is the very Word of God written. What came to Paul and the New Testament apostles by the audible Word is the same Word that comes to us by the written Word. And as it was his invitation to pray, so it is our invitation to pray. And so here's the first principle as it relates to prayer. The first lesson in Paul's school of prayer. We pray, brothers and sisters, in keeping and according to the revelation of God. The Word of God is the revelation of God, and we pray to God on the basis of and in accordance with all that He's revealed to us in His Word. So we don't pray to God based on our understanding or perception or confidence in things. We pray based on His revelation of Himself to us in Scripture. And here are some of the things that He's revealed about Himself even right here in this text. We pray to God as Father. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. We we pray to God as our Father. Now notice who we don't pray to. We don't pray to angels. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to the dead. We pray to God. and We pray to God alone. And we pray to God in the context of a family. Of this family relationship. Father. This is shocking language. Isn't God creator? Yes. Isn't God judge? Yes. Isn't God the ruler of all? Yes, He is. But to us, to those of us in Christ, those of us reconciled to Him through the work of His Son, He is Father. And what a Father He is. He is a generous Father. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Matthew 7. He is a merciful Father. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. The scriptures reveal to us that we pray to God as Father. Scriptures also reveal that we pray to God as Father because of the Son. So we don't come to God as our Father merely because He created us. Okay? We We don't pray to God as our Father merely because He created us, although that's true. He did create us. But we can't pray to God merely on the basis of that creation relationship. Why? Because our sins have separated us from Him. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Thus the Son had to come. And in fact, it was the will of the Father to send Him. To remove this barrier of sin that kept us from Him. And so we have access to Him. We pray to Him solely on the basis of the Son. 
We pray because the Son opened up the veil through His own body on the cross, and so we can enter into the holy presence of God. We pray because He is our mediator. There is one mediator, Paul says, between God and man in 1 Timothy 2.5, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. And again, notice it's interesting who we don't pray through. So we don't pray through other mediators. We don't pray through the merits of those who've gone before us. Nor do we pray through our own merit. We pray through the merit of Christ and Christ alone, whose merit has been given to us freely, fully, and finally through faith in His name. And the Scriptures also reveal that we pray in a posture of humility. So did you notice just how Paul said... I bow my knees before the Father. Now, I want to tell you, you don't have to be in any posture to pray. Okay? You can pray sitting. You can pray kneeling. You can pray standing. You can pray lying down. But whatever your physical posture, brothers and sisters, your spiritual posture must be one of humility. So, I think about the Pharisee. And he went to the temple to pray. Do you remember what he said? He stood and he said, Oh God, I thank you. And what did he thank him for? I thank you that I'm not like other men. And then he just trotted out all of his moral uprightness. Contrast him to the other man that day. Referred to as a publican and a sinner. And so mindful was he of his unworthiness, he couldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. The only prayer he could eke out, brothers and sisters, was this one. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But God heard that prayer. And how could we not come to God in a posture of humility if we truly understand the gospel? Amen? The gospel humbles us. The gospel brings us low. The gospel shows us all that we are that publican. And thus the gospel places us in this pleasing and humble posture. And through the gospel we willingly bow the knee before our God. And so all these things the scriptures reveal to us about prayer. We pray to God as our Father. We pray through the Son. We pray in a posture of humility. And where Paul goes next is that he reveals that we pray in keeping with the priorities of scripture. I want you to look at the substance of Paul's prayer in 16 through 19. That according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of God, excuse me, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So commentators differ over the exact structure of these verses. They're actually quite complicated. And so they disagree on the exact number of requests in them. But at the bottom, and I'm helped by Don Carson here, at the bottom I see two basic prayer requests. The first is a prayer request for greater spiritual power. And you see that request in verse 16. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You know, at root, prayer is a confession of our weakness. So prayer is us admitting that we are not strong, but that we are weak. 
And isn't that the old Sunday school hymn that we all learn to sing, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They, we, are what? Weak. But he is strong. It's not just kids that are weak, it's us. All of his children in Christ that are weak, but he is strong. He is without limitation. His resources are unlimited. He is infinite. He is almighty. And thus, Paul prays, out of the riches of his glory, out of the ridiculous, stupid abundance of his resources, he would strengthen us according to his power. But how? And to what end? Well, let's first think about the how. How does he strengthen us with power? By his spirit and in our inner man. Did you notice that this prayer is Trinitarian? So Paul has mentioned each person of the Trinity here. The Father, verse 14. The Spirit, verse 16. And Christ the Son, verse 17. It's all persons of the Trinity right here for us to see. And this isn't the first sighting of the Trinity in Ephesians either. Chapter 1 begins with an explosion of praise to God for the Father's election, for the Son's redemption, and for the Spirit's sealing. But here... We see another function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means God uses to strengthen us in our inner man. The third person of the Trinity personally indwells every believer. And as he indwells us, what he does is he strengthens us in our inner man. Now, who's our inner man? Is that some Freudian concept? No. It's us. It's just who we really are. In another passage, Paul says, Though our outer self, our outer man, is wasting away, our inner self, our inner man, is being renewed day by day. So you see, when you're converted, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your hearts. The Spirit of God takes up residence in your inward being. And His role is to transform you, to renew you, to sanctify you. And to cause you to be conformed into the image of Christ. You know this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image one from one degree of glory to the, to the other. For, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.2 According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The Spirit of God works in the hearts of the people of God to transform us into the image of the Son of God. Paul's prayer here is for that work. Okay? Paul's prayer here is for that work. For it to be for it to be sped along, for it to be strengthened, for it to be empowered. This is a prayer, really, for sanctification. That's what it is. It's a prayer for growth and godliness. And we know that because of the purpose of prayer. Why does Paul pray for greater spiritual power? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, be clear, this is not a prayer for conversion. This is addressed to those who are already converted. To the saints in Ephesus, right? This is, a, this is a prayer to those who are already converted. So why then is he praying for Christ to dwell in their hearts when Christ already dwells in their hearts? Here's the deal. When Christ comes into our hearts by faith, 
when His Spirit takes up residence in us, do you know what He finds? A heart in disarray and in need of a lot of renovation. Here's how you might think about it. So just imagine you buy a house, but it's a fixer-upper. So you bought the house, you moved into the house, it's your house, you love the house, your wife doesn't love the house. No, she loves the house, but it needs a lot of work. Carpet's so old, it's shagged from the 70s. Lighting so bad you can't see the color of your shirt without a flashlight. The plumbing was designed for the ease of the plumber, not the ease of the user. The windows don't seal, and so you got them sealed up with a bunch of, like, plastic wrap with tape on them. And the wallpaper is so ugly, you don't want to invite anybody over. So what do you do? Well, you just set about renovating it. Project by project, bit by bit, slowly but surely you begin to transform that place into your image, into your likeness, to reflect your tastes and your desires. Maybe you even bust out walls and extend and expand the place. Maybe the transformation is so striking that those who saw the house 25 years ago don't even recognize it as the same house. That house is us, brothers and sisters. When Christ takes up residence in our hearts, we are in need of a lot of renovation. And God, by His Spirit, sets about that work of transformation. And so bit by bit, year by year, room by room, the old is laid aside and done away with, the new replaces it, and over time we become a home more fit for our Lord. Reflecting His image, His likeness, His tastes, His desires. And I want you to note two really important things. Number one, Christ loves the house from the moment He enters in. Brothers and sisters, Christ does not love the house based upon what it will become. He loved the house while it was still so nasty that so many people didn't even want to be around you. The Father loved you even when you were dead in your sins. So don't think that the renovation of your inner man is the basis of God's pleasure. It's not. Number two, this renovation takes a lifetime of actual work on your part. That's why Paul prays. Oh God, strengthen my brothers and sisters by your power in their inner man. We have got to put off and we have got to put on. We have got to demo and we have got to rebuild. This is not only the work of the Spirit. The Spirit works as we work. Doesn't Paul say that in Philippians? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. You know what this work looks like? Let me just read a passage for you. I don't think I could say it any better. And as I read it, I just want you to ask yourself, am I doing this work? Am I doing this work? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath is coming. In these two, you once walked, and you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3. That's the work of renovation right there. And to that, I hope you're not saying amen. I hope you're saying ouch. Right? It's hard work. Out with the old, in with the new, day by day, month by month, year by year, putting off and putting on. Oh, we need to be strengthened by God's Spirit for this work. And so that's what Paul prays for. And so that's what we pray for. I hope that's what you pray for. Oh God, strengthen me by your spirit and my inner man so that Christ may dwell in my heart by faith. The second main prayer request is this. He prays for a greater sense in the heart of the Christian of the immeasurableness of Christ's love. He prays for a greater sense in the heart of the Christian of the immeasurableness of Christ's love. Read just 17b through 19 with me again. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So notice the basis of the second request, verse 17b, that you being rooted and grounded in love. That's interesting. It's kind of interesting because the basis of the prayer request is connected to the substance of the prayer request. We're, We're rooted and grounded in love, God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to have a greater sense of that love. That's his request, right? That that you, being rooted and grounded in love, now here comes the request, may have strength to comprehend, right? Strength to comprehend what? Well, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Now, I want you to notice, this is not a prayer for us to grow in our love for God. That's a good thing. But this is a prayer for us to grow in our knowing His love for us. And so vast is His love for us that Paul gives us these immeasurable 
dimensions. Breadth, length, height, depth. God's love extends beyond our ability to comprehend. So in in every direction, Kent Hughes suggests this. It's a love wide enough to last forever. Excuse me. It's a love wide enough to embrace the world. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's a love long enough to last forever. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says love never ends. Spurgeon said, It is so long that your old age cannot wear it out. It is so long your continual tribulation cannot exhaust it. It is so long your successive temptations shall not drain it dry. It is so long that like eternity itself, it knows no bounds. It's a love high enough to take sinners to heaven. Amen. It's a love deep enough to take Christ to the very depths, to reach the very lowest sinner. Amen. That is love. We can't, we can't fully wrap our arms around that, right? It's just too much. It's like trying to wrap your arms around one of those giant sequoias. It's Yosemite. Give it a try. It won't work. No wonder Paul says it's a love that surpasses knowledge. That doesn't mean it's not knowable. God's love is knowable. He's revealed himself to us in the scriptures. But we can never get our arms around all of it because it's just so infinite. Augustine said, I can see the depth, but I can't see the bottom. We can't fully know the infinite, right? But God wants us to stare at the depth. He wants us to stare at the infinite. And He wants us to grow in an understanding of just how much He loves us. And you know what happens when we do this? We are filled with the fullness of God. That's the upshot of it. In verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I think David had a sense of this when he said, My cup overflows. I like the old King James language there. My cup runneth over. In other words, brothers and sisters, as you grow in your understanding of the love of Christ, God fills your cup with His fullness. God blesses you with His presence and His protection and His power and His peace. And it's unreal. And remember, it comes as we increasingly behold His love for us. Which is to say, it comes to us as we behold His gospel. Believer, you want to know how much God loves you? Don't look at the good things in your life. Don't look even at how you've changed since you've become a Christian. You want to know how much God loves you. Look at the gospel. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8.
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Romans eight thirty one and 32. And one last thing before we move on to the conclusion of Paul's prayer in 20. Notice that this prayer of Paul's is not for the Lone Ranger Christian. Look at that small phrase that you may have passed over in verse 18. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Well, we always need to be reminded, brothers and sisters, that the Christian life is the local church life. We behold God's love together. We sing of God's love together. We pray for a greater awareness of God's love together. We study the truths of God's love through the gospel together. And so what has Paul prayed for here? 16 through 19. These short verses that are so packed with glory. He's prayed for us to have a greater spiritual power. He's prayed for us to have a greater sense of the immeasurableness of Christ's love. And by the way, our prayers reveal our priorities, don't they? They do. We pray for whatever it is that is top of mind. And so what do these prayers teach us about what our priorities should be? Well, they teach us that our priority should be growth. Spiritual growth. Spiritual maturity, above all else, growth in godliness. Spiritual power to put off and to put on, to become a home fit for the Son of God that reflects His tastes and His image and His preferences. And growth in love, spiritual sight to see with greater clarity the infinite love of God that we might be filled up to overflowing These are prayer requests for us to grow in godliness. And these are massive prayer requests, aren't they? They are. And we can pray them with confidence because that's how Paul concludes his prayer. Look at 20 and 21 again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, be bold in prayer. Be bold in prayer. Be bold in prayer because our God is able to do more than we can even imagine. He's able to give Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age. He is able to give victory at Midian with a mere 300 men. He is able to bring down the walls of Jericho by trumpet blasts after they've walked it around it, walked around it, yea, so many times. Oh, he is able to do anything. He created the world in six days by his power. The Virgin Mary conceived by his power. The Lord Jesus rose from the grave. Oh, he is able. But maybe you think, well, that's all well and good. But that's all important redemptive historical stuff there. 
I mean, that's, that's all stuff recorded in the Bible for theologians and pastors and me to, to, to benefit from and to understand. That's all really important, big, redemptive, historical stuff. I'm just me. How can I really believe that he'll really act in such mighty ways for me? Because he already has. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, God made you alive. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you. How will he not also graciously give you all things? This is warrant for confident prayers, brothers and sisters. This is warrant for you to come boldly before the throne of grace. And to keep coming boldly and to keep asking God to work His Christ-resurrecting, sin-killing, new life-giving power in your life. Come to Him. Ask Him. James says, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. Do you know what's so incredible about this? It blows to smithereens the wrong thinking that you are always going to be the way you are. Sometimes I come across this silly thought in your heads and in mine that we are just going to be the way we are. Do you ever peg yourself as just something? Well, I'm just an angry person. That's the way I am. I can't change it. Well, I'm, I'm probably always going to fall to lustful sin. That's just the way that it is. Well, I'm impatient. Well, I'm, I'm rude. Well, I'm lazy. What matter do you think in your life isn't going to change? The unreconciled family member or friend? The family dynamic in your home that you know isn't honoring to God? Your own lack spiritual progress friends it can all change not because of some lame power of positive thinking that's garbage but because of the power of God that is at work within you he is able to do more than you can even ask or think so why don't you start asking why don't you keep asking? And why don't you not let up until Christ is formed in you? Like Jacob, keep wrestling with God and say, I will not let you go until you bless me. This is God's way of shaping you, pruning you, and blessing you, and filling you. And all of it brings God so much glory. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory is this really hard word to define, really. It's like trying to put jello on the wall and just stick it. Sinclair Ferguson says it's like the visible expression of God's inner invisible character and being. It's like the visible expression of God's inner invisible character and being. Oh, God wants for His glory to be shown in us, brothers and sisters, in the church. 
to Him be glory in the church. The central place where God wants His people to see, where God wants all people to see His glory is here. Here. Here there is something of His beauty and His character and His might and His majesty that somehow or another manifests itself here in our midst. Oh, I pray that we would understand this and that we would long for this. This is what happens in times of revival, by the way. In times of revival, many, many come to see that there is a world in here that is so beautiful and it is so different. It is so altogether different than the world out there. God's glory shines in His church. And so that's Paul's prayer. And may it be our prayer. Let me just speak a few concluding words to you this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to pray. And I want you to pray a simple prayer. The words don't matter. The understanding and the frame of heart does. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come to Jesus Christ as your mediator, as the one who died on the cross so that Jews and Gentiles who are dead in their sin, you, can be reconciled to God. I want to encourage you to pray to the Father through the Son to be forgiven and to know His saving grace. He will answer that prayer. And Christian, let's pray. Let's pray for our spiritual maturity over and above all other things. Take a look at what it is that you're praying for and ask yourself, does Paul's prayer seem weird when I compare mine to his? If so, just Realign your priorities and recognize that the most important thing in your life is your spiritual maturity. Why don't you begin to pray for that? And pray for your brothers and sisters in that. Let's pray. Let's pray for our spiritual maturity and let's pray with confidence because He is able to do more than we can imagine or ask or think. And how do we know that He'll do it? Because of the cross. And so let's pray with confidence. And let's put feet to our prayers. There are opportunities to pray together tonight at the Sunday evening service. Why don't you join us? There are opportunities to pray Thursday morning men's prayer this week. Why don't you join us? There's opportunities to pray at all times in your own prayer closet. If you're weak, then you're in good company because prayer is a confession of your weakness. But God is strong. And so let's pray. Let's pray for our spiritual maturity. Let's pray with confidence and let's put feet to our prayers. And let's conclude in prayer now.
Father, I thank you for the work of the Son on the cross and for the Spirit who resides in each one of those whom you set your affection on, transforming us and molding us and shaping us into a residence fit for our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that you transform us, Father, partly through prayer. And so we ask for grace to pray. And we thank you that you hear us and that you act. In Jesus' name, amen.